the end of me, the idea that when you come to the end of yourself, that you find true life, you will find, you will find the life that you were meant to live in Christ, that you come to the end of yourself to find true life. And so this is a core foundation, again, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what Jesus invited his disciples to. It was what he invited the people to. It was at the core of, of how he taught. Um, when, you, when you first come out of the gate from the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to invite people to the life that they were meant to live. And the idea is that you come to the end of yourself so that you can truly live. And he taught what we call paradoxes, paradox, paradoxical teachings, in other words, things that sound kind of crazy or absurd when you hear them, and yet, when you investigate it, make great things. If you come to the end of yourself, then you will truly live. This, again, is at the core of his teachings. It was an upside-down kingdom that he was ushering in, his counterculture. To follow Christ, we will go against the grain of culture. How many know that? You can look at you if you watch what's going on in society and culture. When you are following Christ, and it's in other places, persecution is greater, and, and, and people being arrested for their faith and different things. We we see some countercultural things that are happening in the United States. It seems like that. You can say, God bless you all day long, but when you start talking about Jesus, it makes people a little bit uncomfortable and weirded out. But it's counterculture to follow Christ. It's counterintuitive the way he taught. But it was the key to true life. And so, the premise behind this series is to look at some of the paradoxes that Jesus taught. Some of these ideas, some of these absurd things that sounded a little bit crazy, but it actually invite us to live the life that we were meant to live. Here's the key passage for our series, Luke 9, Jesus talking to the crowd, and this invitation to anyone who would hear, anyone who wants to be my follower. And so imagine, if you will, if Jesus walked up to you personally and he said, I want you to be my follower, but there are conditions to being my follower. He doesn't just say, if you want to be my follower, all you have to do is just believe in me. Now, we're told in Scripture, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I talked to the young people about this on Wednesday night, but the, the biblical idea of believe is more than just that I'm convinced in my mind. It is a Believing means being convinced. Believing biblically and believing in the Lord Jesus is that I'm convinced to the point that it changes my life. Does that make sense? Because what does James tell us? He said the demons believe and tremble. Demons have a fear of the Lord, right? They believe in God and they tremble. When Jesus would show up, what happened to demons? They got scared. Why do you want to torment us? And they, you know, the demons possess men that fell at Jesus' feet, and the demons begin to say, Why are you here? Do you want to torment us? When the presence of God is around, demons believe in eternal. So there's more than this idea of just believing, saying, Well, I believe in God. I'm good to go. No, it's believing to the point where it changes my life. It transforms me. And so Jesus gave some conditions. If you want to be my follower, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because again, our, our nation, people, a lot of people, a lot of people will proclaim Christianity. I'm a Christian. And I'd like to investigate a little further and say, what do you mean by that? 
What do you mean by that? Because Jesus, Jesus would say, if somebody comes and says, if Jesus I'm your follower, I think Jesus would have said, what do you mean by that? Because here's the conditions. If you want to be my follower, anyone, your invitation to anyone, you must give up your own one. You cannot claim Christianity. You can't say, well, I, yeah, I believe in Christ. I believe in Jesus. And live your own life and live only and be God of your own life and make your own decisions and I'll do whatever I want to do. That, is, that would go against what Jesus taught. He said, you've got to give up your own way, take up your cross daily. That's not His cross. Remember, we're not trying to save ourselves, right? We're not to take up. Remember, Jesus said, take up your cross. He took up the cross once and for all. His payment for sin was the once and for all. It is finished. It was the greatest sacrifice ever known. It was the way to salvation that He died on the cross for sin because He loved us. That's good news. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And then Jesus says, Now I want you to take up your cross and follow me. And what does that mean? To, to take up our cross is, again, it's a right to ourselves. It's saying no to our flesh. We, we're in constant battle with our flesh, aren't we? We're in constant battle with our sin nature. We will always have that battle until we die from this earth and we are raised to life with Christ. So it's a daily struggle. Take your cross daily. We have to do that every day. It's a battle. And then the third condition is that follow me. I love that. I'm leading. You're not. That's what Jesus is saying. If you begin to lead... That means that you have gone away from the condition of being a Christian, of being a Christ follower. So if I proclaim Christ, and I think yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, and if I'm leading my own life, and I'm letting Him, and I, I don't mind Him following or being next to me, uh, that's not what it means. Jesus said, give up your rights to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I'm leading you. And I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's leading, not you. And we find, in, in, again, Biblically, we have to follow Him, and to love Him, and to serve Him. When we understand that it's not this strenuous, oh, here we go, I'm going to follow Jesus. When you understand His love for you, and that's where Paul in Ephesians 3 said, I want you to understand God's love for you. It is the love that you could, it's the perfect, pure love that you've always been looking for. It's the love that gives you peace, contentment, gives you love, the love that it, 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 it answers the question that anything that you're trying to find in this life, God's love is so great for you. And when you get that love, it's a delight and joy to follow on as opposed to, well, I'm not following because I have to. So, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to love you. And that's his invitation, is again, more than just this. Duty driven, uh, uh, I'm going to follow Christ because I love you and I want, to, I want, I want my life to reflect you. And I, I want to receive your love and give that love away. And because he invites us into a relationship with himself. And then Jesus ends the statement pretty weighty. He says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you yourself are lost or destroyed? You get everything that you thought you wanted power, money, Fame, whatever it is that you think that you can't live without, and Jesus says, you know, you can have that. What does it benefit you if you gain what you think you want and you lose your soul in the process? And so I want you to, that's why this, this, this passage is the key passage to the series, is to catch what Jesus is inviting. Remember this. Meditate on this passage, what Jesus is trying to say to us, what is invitation to us. And so we've been looking at these paradoxes, and, 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 and today's paradox is, and, and the title of the, the sermon is, is, to be strong, you must be weak. 
Again, sounds a little absurd, doesn't it? To be strong, you must be weak. Sounds counterintuitive, but I guarantee if you, when we unpack Scripture, you're going to see that it's an essential revelation for us as we walk with Jesus in relationship. In our society, weakness is frowned upon, right? And in the Bible, we're told to be strong, not to be weak. But in culture, weakness is frowned upon. We live in a culture that celebrates human strength, right? If you're on Facebook and people put videos out there of people who have overcome great odds, inner strength to accomplish things, overcoming adversity. We love those things. They inspire us. They, and we champion people who walk in this. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not here to, to, to put a downer on that. It's often to see how people can overcome things in life. But what I'm talking about is where we rely on our own strength and we put our own humanness on display in the place of Christ. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I can do this. I have done this. I've got this to the point where we remove Jesus from the equation and we put humanness on display. One of the greatest things in culture is humanism. It's this celebration of self. It's that all humans are basically good if we can just tap into our own goodness. And the Bible says that none of us are good. We just have to be good enough and better enough and strong enough. Humanism, celebrating of the human spirit, as opposed to saying, I need Christ in me. You know, people can accomplish a great deal with willpower, can't they? Have you ever done something just by pure willpower? I have. You can do it for a while, right? How about stubbornness? Ooh. Got any stubborn people in the room? Is there anybody stubborn next to you? Um, you can nudge them if you want to. Um, you know what I'm talking about. The reason why I say that is I'm very stubborn. If I get my mind set on something, ask my wife, ask my children. I'm very stubborn. I'm a pretty laid-back person, but when I get set in on something, I can be very stubborn. We can accomplish a lot through willpower and stubbornness. A lot of people have done that. But the problem is, is there... That can only lead you to a certain level, or you can have stubbornness and willpower in one area, but your weakness is going to come out somewhere, right? It always does. A lot of times, we overcome and we have you know, this willpower and stubbornness in one area because what we're trying to do, we're trying to hide something else. We're trying to make a compensation for something else. We hide our weaknesses, right? Look how strong they are. I mean, we deep down inside, you know, when people say, look, I'm strong. Look what they did deep down inside and say, if you only knew. If you only knew my weakness, my weaknesses. And so, and this whole human strength thing is trickled in the church. And what do we do? We come in here and we, we put our strength on display, right? We come in here and, and we, 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 have, like we have it all together. You know, we put on a nice little... And we're looking nice, and little did you know that I've got my two-year-old, almost two-year-old on the bed. I'm trying to tie the tie. I'm doing this this morning, and I'm getting frustrated. And the older one is like doing this, and I'm putting them up and down, sweating profusely, and I'm having a mess. That was pretty good to know. But you didn't know that. You didn't see that. My attitude is bad sometimes. 
frustrated sometimes. Anybody else deal with that? Am I the only one? But we come in and we put up, we, what we try to do is we say, well, man, culture, I'm going to put my strength on this for you. I, I, I can't let you see the cracks. And what does Paul call us? Cracked pots. Jars of clay. And he begins to say, yeah, we're, 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 we're just going to crack jars. He said, but well, guess what? When you're a cracked jar, if you have the light of the world in you, the cracks begin to reveal him. That's the point. And so our weakness may not manifest in one area, we might have that under control through stubbornness, but it, it's going to come in another one. It's only a matter of time. People rely on their own strength a lot of times when they're hurting in one area. Maybe it's not just stubbornness, they're hurting in an area. Maybe, like Terry said this morning, you've been through things as a, in your childhood, or, or, or what Doug says, that you, know, you see through this lens and, and you make this kind of inner vow. That will never happen again. Maybe it was in the form of abuse or neglect or something that was painful, a traumatic thing, and you kind of almost make this inner vow that will never happen again. And so, then you just get into stubbornness. I won't trust that again. I won't trust in them again. And I have this inner strength that I'm relying on. We weren't intended to live like this. We're intended to live the life that God has for us and cross us by Jesus' name. That's what the effort of His kingdom was to reveal that we needed Him. That's why he came and he didn't abolish the law, but he fulfilled the law. And he said, you know what the law reminds you of the Old Testament and the law? But the law reminds you that you need God. Right? The law was a big mirror that just showed you how fractured you were, right? Good luck in following all of that. Go through the book of Leviticus and see if you can follow all of that for a week. Good luck. There's your homework for the week. And then come back next week and talk to me. You won't do it. And these overwhelming laws, again, it was because of sinfulness came and so God was telling you, he said, now you've got to follow this stringent law in order to, uh, you know, to, to overcome the sinfulness, you have to follow this structured law. And then Jesus continues to fulfill that. You come to me, I will set you free and make you new who God wants you to be. That's the goodness. He's the one to make us new. So we weren't intended to live like that. And God in His mercy will try to allow our weakness to eat out. And not, not for our shame, but always to point us to Christ. I want you to look at what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. I don't need to do that because I'm looking after it failed. <laughs> I would be trying to advance my own slide, but it's not going to happen. All right. So, Paul, just for your context to let you know, Paul. I love Paul. Paul is, is, is an amazing guy. He was a he was a he was one of those religious guys. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the highest order. Very religious. Very zealous. And Jesus encountered him. He was persecuting Christians. He had them arrested. Stephen was stoned to death. And Paul looked on in approval. And so God changes his life. And then later on, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, at the beginning, Paul tells us he he has this heaven experience. Doesn't happen much. But Paul said, 
I was taken, is that whether I was in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure. And I, that, that's not up there, but I'm giving you a little context here. He said, I'm not sure where I was in the body or out of the body. He said, but I was taken into the third heaven. He was able to see, and he did testimony that he was there. And here's what he said. He said, it was too great for words. I can't even, and Paul didn't even try to describe it. He said, it's too great for words. Too marvelous for words. And so he has this encounter and he's talking about it. And he says, If I wanted to boast, look up here, verse 6. If I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so. Right? So I could write a book about that. I could tell teachers. I could boast about it, my experience. I'd be telling the truth, but I won't do it. Why? Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Isn't that powerful? In other words, he said, I'm not going to tell you about having experiences if I'm not living for Christ. If you can't see it in my life, in my message, I don't want to boast in that other stuff. And we, we believe in the supernatural, and God can do supernatural things, but that is not our focus. Jesus is our focus. And he said, Paul said, I'm not going to boast in that. I'm not going to put myself on display and talk about how awesome I am and how cool I am that God gave me this vision of heaven and so that you would look to me and think that I'm somehow great. He said, I will not do it. Because he said, the most important thing is what you see in my life and my message that I'm a follower of Jesus. Even though I've received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from being coming proud, I want you to listen to this. This is, a, this is a, a somewhat even troubling New Testament passage. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Had a third heaven experience, so be careful if you're praying for a heaven experience because there might be something else that's associated with that to keep you from being proud. We don't know, you know, what, what all of this is that's going on, but it's evidently the, the Lord said, I don't want you to be proud, Paul, so I'm going to allow this thing to go to the next one. So three different times he said, I begged the Lord to take it away. This thorn in his flesh, this something that's going on maybe in his body. He said, here's what the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in God's power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to what he say? Boast in my weakness. It's so the power of Christ can work through me. I boast in. And I'm not boasting in me, but I'll boast in the weakness. In other words, Paul gets up and he begins to tell me, hey, I'm weak. Amen. Somebody's listening. Getting shout out from kids. Come on, people. I love it. Out of the mouth of babes, right? They're listening. Somebody else is taking a nap. And kids, come here. But Paul began to boast that I'm weak and I'm proud of it. And culture would say, "Don't say so What are you talking about? I mean, you know, I, I'm okay just for them. I'm not picking you for my team. You're not teaching Sunday school, Mister Weakness." But he began to boast in his weakness. He said, but here's the thing. So that the power of Christ can be see work through me. That's why then he you're from boasting to taking pleasure. Look, I take pleasure in my weakness. He said, This is the greatest revelation that I could have. 
I realize I'm weak. The Lord has given me this thing as a messenger from the enemy to as a temporary thing. He wasn't going to take that into eternity, but then just and he begged the Lord, please take it away. Three times he's begging God, take it away. God says, there's, there's a sovereign reason why I've allowed that to happen. And then he says, well, thank you, God, even for that, because now it helps me to boast my weakness because your power is on display. That's why we can accomplish way more when Christ is at work in us than we can do by ourselves. You think your stubbornness and willpower can pull things off? Wait till you surrender to Jesus and see what He does. You know, there's a certain amount of weight that we can lift. I don't care how strong the strongest man or woman is on the earth. There's only a certain amount of weight they can lift, right? In their own strength. But Jesus says that's nothing for me. I can help you overcome. I can set you free. Paul begins to boast and take pleasure in his weakness. And he says, and in the end, so parts of persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. So he's going through all of this stuff, and all of this stuff happened to him, but he said, it doesn't matter. Because when I am weak, then I am what? There's the paradox. When I'm weak, then I'm strong because it's the power of Christ. God's power on display in my weakness. As Paul boasted in his weakness to pleasure, so can we. He emptied himself and we empty ourselves so that Christ can be on display. It's his work in and through us that he be seen. Not self-strength, not self-reliance. Those interfere with the power of God. The more of us that is there, the less of him will be there. Makes you want to boast in your weakness, right? Why would Paul say this? Because, you know, again, to go back a few verses, he, has, he testifies to that. He said, I've seen the other side. I've seen. That, that's a cool thing. At the beginning of chapter 12, he had the third time experience. And he testified, it's real. It's real. There's a real place there. It is eternity. It's heaven. It is greater than words can describe. It's real. And so that's why he could say, I'm going to boast in this life in my weakness. It doesn't matter. Persecutions, hardships, suffering, whatever I go through in this life, there's nothing compared to eternity. It's real. Just hang on, people. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's real. And he testifies of the reality of heaven. He says, Jesus is worth living for. When you go through the hardest moments in life, when you go through the hardest pain, when you go through the hardest circumstances, hang on, because nothing compares to knowing Christ. And he said, it's only a little while where we will see Him. And so our mission on this earth is that Jesus and His power be seen, not our own strength, not our own determination, not reliance on ourselves, not how awesome we are, but that we are broken vessels that we can be seen through. This is what he tells in 1 Corinthians 1. Begins the letter to the Corinthians. Let's go to the next one. So remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world eyes. So there's only a few of you that were wise in the world eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless or weak to shame those who are powerful. God chose things that despise by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing that the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You see what He's saying there? God uses the broken, weak things of this world. And guess what I say? Yes, amen. I'm, I'm qualified. 
And he says to, to, to put the sheep. And so he says, even how God did it, even how Jesus did it, it is a paradox to the world. That was the passage last week when they saw Peter and John with boldness teaching. They were not, these are ordinary men, have no special training, and they're doing exploits. Well, what is so special about them? But they recognize they have been with Jesus. This is the contrast of how the world measures things versus how God measures God makes a point to work through those who know they are weak to relive His power. To point us to His work and His glory that no one can boast in His presence. That they see Him on display, how awesome He is. Even when God uses us, people go, what is it? And you can say, Christ in me. Only God can do that. Only God can take that person chained in addiction, fear, circumstances and set them free and make them new. Only God can do that. And so this is the narrative of all the stories in the Bible that we've grown up with too, right? Ordinary people, when you read the Bible, they are our heroes, but they are ordinary people doing exploit because of God's power working through them, in and through them. God chooses Moses. What does Moses say? I won't speak well. Why are you choosing me? God, I want you to be a leader. No one, not any of us, and there's no committee on the planet that would have chosen Moses to be a leader of Israel. I stutter. I mean, he's making all these excuses, right? God uses him. And he said, there's a, there's a point, Moses. I, I, I chose you. You are me so that my power can be seen. Abraham, Joshua. Remember Joshua and the children of Joshua and the wall of Jericho, Right? Just be obedient, Joshua. Just do what I tell you to do. And the wall crushed down, and God shows his power when we are obedient. David and Goliath, one of our favorite stories, right? Everybody knows this narrative. The little 13, 14-year-old kid and the 9-feet-9-inch tall giant warrior, and he takes him down with a rock. Not just a rock, but the power of God. What does David say? You, can't, you come at me with sword and spirit, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. You understand no match for God. Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the disciples, and what they did. If you're reading in the Judges and speaking in your Bible, Gideon. God chooses Gideon to be one of the judges. He's a fearful, reluctant leader, and God says, You're the guy. And the angel looks at him and says, Almighty oh, warrior. He's like, You got the wrong guy. He's threshing wheat down in a basement, hiding. That's not where you would do that. Because they were afraid of their enemies. The enemies that they, of, of Israel at the time were massive warriors. And here's Gideon, the fearful, reluctant, I don't want to do it, pick somebody else, please. Angel says, mighty warrior, I'm choosing you. And here's what God does. And God is all about putting our weakness on display. All, he's already weak. He's already... I mean, he's making excuses. I'm from the least tribe. My family's the least family. Do I need it? He's got the anti-resume. It's like going into a job and saying, you really don't want me. I'm really not that good. Um, my skills are kind of bad. You know, um, I won't do a good job and my references are horrible. But here's my resume. And the guy goes, hey, you're the, the guy we're looking for. Right? It doesn't make sense. And Gideon is giving the angel all his anti-resume. You don't want me, I'm afraid. 
my family's the lowest. Can't you pick somebody else? There's probably somebody else that's a little bit more brave than me. They have a little more courage than me. And there's a point that God's making because I'm choosing the foolish things, the weak things to put my power on display. Then he takes this weak, reluctant leader, and guess what he does? He gathers up the army. All right, gather everybody together. And they're already with all the army that are vastly outnumbered with the whole army. The first thing God says, okay, here's what we're going to do first. Getting everybody that's afraid, you can go home. 22,000 people went home. I think Gideon wanted to go with him. Does that include me? No, not you. Because I'm afraid too. Fearful, reluctant, outnumbered, and God whittles it down to 300. Okay, if he was afraid before, He's really afraid now. And that's why you remember they had the whole thing, you know, like the, uh, you know, he, the, the, the angel of the Lord says, you know, the, the grass will be dry and, the, and the, the cloth will be wet, you know, and it'll be a sign. And he goes, thanks for doing that. And the next day, we'll do the opposite. That's a thing for You need to be sure. And then God says this, so here, it's getting crazier and crazier. You can't make this stuff up. Or you get whittled down the arm to 300. Now you're not going to use any weapons. Come again? Yeah, that's right. You're not going to use any weapons. You're going to surround the army. You're going to blow trumpets. You're going to smash pots. Folks, no one would ever think about if you were listening to a general telling you this is what we're going to do. You're like, okay, I know. Can I join the fearful people? But you have these 300 that says, I have no idea what he's talking about, but let's go. This is crazy, but let's do it. And God works in the midst of weakness. To display his power. His stories about people putting their weakness on display, putting their hope and their trust in the all powerful God to encourage us. Yes, there are metaphors, there are real things that happen, but they are metaphors. We do have our own walls, we do have our own giants. When people talk about that, we, have, we are vastly outnumbered, and we have those times and seasons where we feel like all hope is gone, our circumstances are against us, everything is. The weight of the world is on our shoulder. Whatever metaphor you want to use, and Jesus is saying, because I want your weakness to be on display so that my power can be seen in and through you. To boast in your weakness. Because strength and courage are interchangeable, right? Spiritual courage, believing that God will show up when I step out. Notice that God doesn't give Gideon all of the details. So I love that about God. And that, that, that helps us to even put our weakness up. Man, God, if you would just give me a blueprint and show me all the details, that would be wonderful. And then I can have a little bit. Not my name, just do what I ask you to do. When we step out, God steps up so that His power can be manifest. And you know what, guys? These are ordinary people that did exploits because of the great God, and God wants us to do exploits. Again, not for our own name, but for the name of Jesus. And He wants to give us courage in some areas. I'm going to close in this, and I want, I, I want you to look at it. I'm going to go through this list very quickly. But it may not be a, a giant, a nine foot nine, nine inch giant. It may not be an actual wall, but there are things in front of you things that the Lord is asking you and He wants to do exploits, but it's coming to the end of yourself, coming to say, Lord, I am weak, that you are strong, and He wants to give you the power to take that step. And He wants you to take that step by getting it. You have to step. I'm not going to do it for you. You step up and I, you step out and I will step up and I will reveal my power in you. 
He wants to give us courage in this culture and this counter to be counterpoint. He wants to give us courage, number one, to do. Courage to surrender. So once and for all, give your life completely and unconditionally to Him. What are you hanging on to? What keeps you from making that step? And I, I again, I was there as you know, as a 19 year old young man. I, I grew up in a church and I kept one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and, and I knew what God would have to do. Once and for all, what are you hanging on to? I need to take a step. God, I give you everything. I'm not going to play games with you anymore. I want to, once and for all, unconditionally surrender my life to God. wants to give somebody courage to do that today. Stop the plate spinning in your life. You're trying to control every little thing. You're trying to do this and your own self-will, stubbornness, running from this place. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Quit striving and give up to Him completely and totally. And watch what God will do. That's number one. Next, God wants to give somebody courage to say yes. What have you been saying no to God about? Things that maybe He's speaking to you. Something that you have even vowed that you won't or you cannot do. And God wants you to be encouraged. It won't be, again, it won't be your own strength, but you, you know God is asking you to say yes to something. I'm going to say yes to you, God. And I'm going to say yes, whatever that is. Next, God wants to give somebody courage to say no to that addiction that you've been wrestling with, you've been playing with, you've been entertaining for so long, and you keep it right there to give you courage. Yes, and it's not going to be in your own strength. You're not going to have enough willpower to say no to it once and for all. That relationship that you know isn't right, isn't pleasing to God, that attitude that you know is wrong, the justifying and excusing of sin, I'm going to say no to it. I'm going to say no to that anger. I'm going to say no to that lust. I'm going to say no to complaining. I'm going to say no to division or other things that have been controlling you. Once and for all, I'm going to say no to it. And God's going to meet you with His strength and your weakness. Next, God wants to give us courage to repent, to get honest before God and call it like it is that it's a sin. God is a sin. And I know it's a sin. I'm going to stop excusing it. I'm going to stop calling it a struggle. I'm going to stop calling it this or that. I'm going to get honest with God and I'm going to say this is a sin. And I'm going to repent. Repent means to be more than sorry. It means that I'm going to go and talk to change and do whatever it takes. God, I need your cleansing power. I can cleanse myself. I can change myself. Next, God wants to give somebody courage to confess. James says, confess your faults to one another that you might be healed. Courage to make things right with others. Courage to confess to someone that you trust. You say, I'm here to sin I'm dealing with. And I want to be free. And I want to get honest. And I want to confess these things so that I can be healed by God. Again, we keep that stuff in the dark. I, I don't know all about it. This is the big one for me. Courage to confess. I've dealt and wrestled with lust. Up and then it came into my marriage, and I knew I came to a, a place of a boiling point when I I knew God wanted me to I knew what God wanted me to do. I, and I, I was spinning plates trying to figure out, and I knew God had a calling for my life, but I was just hitting this wall over and over. Some of you guys know my story, but I kept hitting this wall, and God said, What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this issue? And I knew that I needed to sit my wife down and confess all the lustful things that I had in my heart. 
and I put that off, and I put it off, and I put it off, and I, all these things that what you go the battlefield of the mind, and you're going to lose your marriage, you're going to hate your guts, you're going to blah blah blah. All of these things that stir up fear of why we shouldn't. And then I finally one night got courageous enough, and I stepped on it. It took me a long time to get there, but when I finally did, it was painful and it hurt, but it set us on a path to have a great marriage. And by the grace of God, we have a great marriage, not in our own strength, but because Christ power is perfected in our weakness. Now, somebody, God wants to give you courage to be accountable, to make yourself available for someone to be honestly in your life and call you out. You need to give people that permission. I need, I want you, I want to be accountable. I need you to challenge me when I'm off. And when you get offended and you start defending yourself and getting angry, you have a sin problem. God wants us to be accountable to one another. Next, God wants to give somebody the courage to forgive. Something, someone that hurt you, they offended you, they betrayed you, they abused you, and you have justified in your mind why you won't forgive. Maybe you won't say it, but you hold on to it for a long time. God wants to give you courage. Again, it's not in your own strength. The power of Christ that you take that step and you forgive it. doesn't matter what they do or don't do. It doesn't matter if they weep tears and say thank you. It doesn't matter any of that. They might be angry at you and say, well, I don't, there's no need for you, know, I, for you to forgive me. I didn't do anything wrong. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you and Jesus. Forgive the courage to forgive to step out. I'm telling you, when we walk in these areas, God, people, uh, people are going to be inspired by, by by seeing Christ in us. I am seeing Christ in things will begin to change. We will begin to see uh, ripple effects by being obedient to God. Next one is somebody wants to God wants to give somebody courage to reconcile. A, a, a broken relationship. Do your part to mend that broken relationship. Reach toward someone. Again, they may not have anything to do with you. But you say, I want to make my end, I want to make my side right. God wants to give you courage. And these, these will be the giants. These will be the walls. That when you step up, God says, step out, God steps up and you will see His power. And then lastly, to Engage in relationships in an authentic and transparent way. And I specifically talk about maybe your spouse and your children. Maybe there's others. Maybe there are parents that you have been, you could be adult people right now and you have an issue with your parents or siblings or something that's going on, but to engage in relationships in an authentic and transparent way. Be emotionally, sometimes you've been emotionally cut off from them. Guys, this can happen to us where we're working real hard and, and and, and, and we're, we're providing or whatever it is that we do, and then we can be emotionally cut off from them. And God wants us to get us to engage them. Well, how do I do it? How do you take that first step? You talk, you open up, you repent, you pray together, you read the Bible together, you start a new normal. So John Eldridge and Wild at Heart, there's a video series of that where he and these guys were, they were repelling from rocks doing these fearful, you know, like taking that first step. He said, it's so terrifying. He said, but I know men. He said, I'll ask them, you need to go have an authentic and transparent um, conversation with your wife. And they're like, give me the rope. I'd rather, much rather repel a rock and jump off a cliff than talk to my wife in a meaningful way. But God wants to begin to give us courage 
real-world things that we face, to give us strength, to boast in our weakness, to take pleasure in our weakness. God, I cannot do it on my own strength, but I'm willing. And when we start obeying, it will be uncomfortable. It will be. It will be uncomfortable. We don't see any guarantees, but we will see His power at work. Will you stand with me? And what does Paul say at the end of that passage? He says, also, no, no, no one will share in the glory of God. It's all for His glory, right? It's all for Jesus to be on display. The gospel and the kingdom are at stake, at stake when we begin to forgive, repent, reconcile, have that conversation, reach out, confess, be accountable, say no, say yes. For the glory of Jesus, we will see His power manifest in our weakness. What's God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? And I'm asking you to be honest as we pray before the Lord. What courageous thing is God asking you to do? Not, not to try to think about how do I muster up my own strength, but that I just fall and surrender in me on call. I boast in my weakness. I take pleasure in my weakness to the power of Christ to be seen. We come to the end of ourselves come to the end of our own reliance, come to the end of our excuses, and say, Lord, I want to be strong, so I'm going to be weak today before you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, whatever you are speaking to our hearts, that we would obey. Lord, that you are challenging us, so God, in so many different things, God, and I pray that we would see that you long to walk with us in relationship. Lord, that you don't leave us alone to do this, that you love us, that you want the best for us. You want relationships to be restored. You want us to be free from those sins that still easily drag us down. And Lord, we are praying that the power of Christ would be displayed through our weakness. God, we boast in our weakness because we desperately need you. God, I pray that we would wake up every day realizing how much we desperately, desperately need you. So Lord, go with us. Help us be courageous this week. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.